take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to examine uh, what might be considered an apparent contradiction in Scripture uh, today. And so I'm going to need you to put on your thinking caps and to listen very closely so that we stay together the whole way through. Uh, But this, uh, Matthew chapter 7, is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And as Jesus is explaining things here, he's trying to help us understand the truth about entering the kingdom of heaven. You know, some people believe, well, we're all God's children. No, we were all created in the image of God. But to be a member of his family, you must be born into his family. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, the the Jewish uh, uh, Pharisee, the religious leader, certainly a, a man that had much more religion and we might say righteousness than Uh, I think anyone here today, Jesus said, except you be born again, you shall not enter the kingdom of God. And as Jesus was teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount, he was explaining what the kingdom is about. And uh, there are those who would like to take parts of the Bible and cut it up into all little pieces and say this doesn't apply to us, but... Uh, Paul put it this way, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction, for correction in righteousness. And so we come here to this passage and we're going to read Jesus giving us a command here. He says, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate And broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now let's do that one more time. That's Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way which leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now, what we have here is Jesus telling us that if you're going to go to heaven, you've got to enter in To the straight gate. Now, uh, somebody say, well, what does that mean? It means, well, it means that the road is straight, but this is the same route. How many of you have ever heard of a straight jacket? Uh, That's got long sleeves and it wraps around and it keeps you immobile. Uh, Same word. The, The straight gate is a very narrow, confining gate. Um, You're not going to get through it uh, with your extra large oversized suitcase. Uh, You're going to have to enter this gate and walk this narrow way. And there are many people I've met over the years and and they'll say, listen, I I would be a Christian. I I would serve the Lord if, if the way weren't so narrow. 
I just don't know if I can get rid of all the things that I need to. And in fact, I remember one dear lady, we, we talked for hours and hours, and she said, there is just no way I can walk that narrow way. said, I might take a few steps, but I'm going to be out of it before long, and, and I'm not even going to try. Yet Jesus said, if we don't walk through that straight gate and stay on that narrow way, we're, we're not going to make it to heaven. Now, just so no one misunderstands, you don't get to heaven by something you do. You get to heaven by what Jesus has done. Amen? He is the one that allows us to enter that straight gate, to walk in that narrow way. Yet we, we live in a world, in fact, let's go back to the Garden of Eden. How many trees were in the Garden of Eden? Well, no one knows for sure. But there were a lot of them. God planted that garden. He put Adam and Eve in that garden. Yes, uh, they were real people. Yes, it was a real garden. And, and uh, God had brought every animal. That doesn't mean there uh, chihuahuas and Great Danes, but he brought dogs and wolves and all the different animals that were there. And Adam named them all. And, and so we would believe that there were if not every kind of tree, almost every kind of tree in that garden that God made beautiful, and they were to dress and keep it. And he said, listen, there's one tree. I put it right in the middle of the garden. You're not to eat of it. And what did they do? Well, the devil used a snake, and he came up and started talking to Eve. And uh, people have said, yeah, you see, the way it was in the beginning, all of the animals talked. No, I don't believe that. Uh, I believe that Eve should have had enough sense to know that when the snake was talking, to walk the other way. Amen? To realize something wasn't right. But she listened. And what was his temptation? Hath God said, you may not eat of the trees of the garden. You've got all these wonderful trees and God said you can't touch them, you can't eat them. And, and Eve said, no, no, we can eat of all the trees, but there's one. Only one tree in all the garden we can't touch. Now, did God say not to touch the tree? No. You see, Eve had done what mankind does. She had put in her mind that if I don't touch it, I'll never eat it. Well, see, the problem was, was she breaking God's commandment when she touched it? No, but she was breaking her commandment. You see, that's how people try to be righteous. We set up our own little rules. And we know that if we slip and fall at our little set of rules, we're going to be okay. But what we don't understand is that when we substitute our set of rules for God's rules, we're going to go slipping and sliding way beyond the barrier of God's laws. And that's exactly what happened. Eve got concentrating on that one tree that she couldn't have instead of a whole garden of trees that she could have. 
And I've met so many people over the years that get concentrating on that narrow way and all the things that they can't have and lose the most important and precious things that God wants to give them. You see, there are two ways. It never fails to amaze me every time I read this verse. I think of Broadway. All of the theaters, all of the lights, all of the fancy things that go on in Broadway. But the Bible says that Broadway leadeth unto destruction. And it says many be that go in thereat. And so we come here to... Uh, I want to read another verse, Luke chapter 13 and verse 24. As Jesus was teaching again, he, he told those that he was teaching, and I just want to make sure I read it exactly right here, verse 13, verse 24, he says, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be Abel. He said, listen, you've got to strive. How many of you have ever really worked hard, I mean fought for something in your life? Uh, I think the most recent thing in my life was finishing major construction in the auditorium here. Uh, That was not accomplished easily. Uh, it took us five and a half years, and and uh, we finally come on May. Got a I got a taste that hey, we can get this thing done this summer. And Stephen and I worked and worked, and I, uh, uh, you know, he was waking up and he said, "Dad, I'm tired." I said, "Listen, I'm an old man, right?" I said, "You're the young buck." I said, "Get up and get to work," and. Uh, and so we we had to just push and and work extra hard and give up certain things so that so that we could finish. We had to strive because if you don't really put forth the effort, it doesn't happen. How many of you have ever really worked for something in your life? I mean, you set a goal and you said, "I'm going to give it everything I have." Jesus said, listen, would you be that interested in going to heaven? Would you be as desirous of getting to heaven as Warren Buffett is in making money? You see, that's what he's saying. He said, there's a lot of people that want to go to heaven. But they're not going to be able to. Why? Because they're not going to let go of what they need to let go of. I mean, Jesus was implicit in his warnings. And he was not uh, uh, giving a second way around and saying, Listen, if you mess up in this life, you know, we got this thing called purgatory and you can try again. And everybody can pray you out. That, that's an invention of mankind. It's not in the Bible. 
the people who believe in reincarnation said, well, if I mess up in this life, guess what? I'll come back as a worm and then I'll get stepped on and then I'll come back as a, a beetle and then I'll come back as a lion and I'll be really cool. No, you only get one time around. You only have one chance. In fact, let's turn to Mark chapter 10 very quickly. We just want to look two verses here in Mark chapter 10. This is a famous story in the Bible. We call him the rich young ruler. He came running up to Jesus and bowed in the dust of the road and asked Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus told him, give up everything and follow me. He said, I can't do that. And he turned away, and as he went away, I want you to look at me with verse 25. Here's Jesus speaking. I want you to get the picture here. This rich young ruler is dusting himself off and walking away with great sorrow because he knows that he is choosing Eternal separation from God because he will not let go of what he has. And as he is walking away, Jesus gives us one of the most modern day quoted verses. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. We read this in Luke and in Matthew, and it it explains a little further and explains to us that, listen, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. Now, how many of you are familiar with camels? I'm not talking about cigarettes. We're talking about the big animals. I I mean, a small camel, 800, 1,000 pounds, that would be a pretty small camel, I would think. I'd think. 1,500 pounds would be a pretty good-sized camel. Uh, Are you going to stuff a camel through the eye of a needle? You know, some smart apple went and said, you know, there's a gate in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, They called it the eye of the needle, and the camel had to take off all of its uh, uh, saddle and all of its burdens and crawl through on its knees. And I'm sitting here going, okay, what camel is going to take off all of its saddles and burdens? Uh, who put it on the camel in the first place? Some guy. Now, what kind of idiot is going to take a camel and try to stuff it through a little gate unless he's mocking God? What Jesus was saying was, you put thread through the eye of a needle. Now, you can make camel hair thread, but that doesn't qualify as a camel. Amen? What he's saying is it's impossible for you to trust in riches and trust in God at the same time. But I want you to skip down here to verse 27 with me. And Jesus looking upon them. Well, let's read verse 26. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? If the rich can't be saved, who can be saved? And Jesus looking upon them, saying with men... It is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. 
You see, Jesus was not playing games. He was not dumbing down the gospel so that people could understand his message and not get half of it. He wanted people to get it. He wanted that rich young ruler to understand completely that he was making a choice between his eternity and his wealth. He chose his wealth, but he lost it all. Now, I want you to look with me in one more passage, Matthew chapter 16. Hold on, we're almost through the introduction, okay? Matthew chapter 16. We're going to go down to the end of the verse, uh, end of the chapter, verse 24. It says here, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for a soul? You see, Jesus is saying here, if you were to gain the whole world, if you were to own everything, if you were to accomplish that which all of the great uh, tyrants of history have tried to accomplish, the domination of the entire world and the control of all of its riches, if you could do that, wouldn't buy you one second in heaven. Now, I told you at the beginning I wanted to look at an apparent contradiction in Scripture because there are no contradictions in Scripture. And this is the main verse that I want us to examine. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 119, if you would. All of that is introduction so that we can really get what is being said here in Psalm 119. We're going to look at one verse, Psalm 119, verse 96. Psalm 119, verse 96. The psalmist here says, I have seen an end of all perfection, but thy commandment is exceeding broad. Psalm 119, verse 96. I have seen an end of all perfection. But thy commandment is exceeding broad. Now, here's the contradiction that is in my mind that I wanted to bring out today. The psalmist says, thy commandment is exceeding broad. That means wide. Uh, Lots of room. What did Jesus say in his preaching? He said that straight is the gate And narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Does anybody see that uh, there's a little difference in the wording here? And what we need to understand, first of all, is there's no such thing as a contradiction in Scripture. Therefore, the contradiction is in our understanding of the Scripture. And so, I want us to look at this verse... Because this really 
describes so much of what life is. In fact, one commentator said that this verse is a complete commentary and summary of the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, would, uh, would tend to agree with that. He says, I have seen the end of all perfection. Now, we do not know for sure, but we believe that the author of Psalm 119 was David, the king. Uh, we're not 100% sure, but we uh, have a good, good evidence to believe that is him. And, and what he's simply saying here, and it really doesn't matter, this, these words are in our Bible and for us to examine. He said, I've seen the end of all perfection. You know, man has accomplished some incredible things. Has he not? I mean, we packed up some guys in a spaceship and flew them to the moon. And you know what? There's some people who say, oh, that didn't happen. That's all fake photography, etc. Oh, believe that if you want. But they got on the ship and they actually flew to the moon and they stuck a flag there and they came back. It, it really did happen. Amazing. There are buildings that built. I, I think of the Great Pyramids in Egypt. Do you know that the Great Pyramids in Egypt have less architectural error than the Empire State Building does? It, it's an amazing thing. I mean, there are things that we still can't explain. How about Machu Picchu, that city that's on top of a mountain built with huge stones that didn't come from the mountain. Didn't come anywhere from that area. Thousands of miles away across the ocean is the closest stone that, uh, that equals, that matches what was built on top of the Andes Mountains. How did it get there? I don't know. Somebody says, aliens. Uh, take two aspirin and see me in the morning. Amen. Man's accomplished some incredible things. But you know what? Every accomplishment has an end. You can only take something that man has done so far. David was saying, listen, I've examined the best. You know, David's kingdom was not far from Egypt. The most powerful nation, arguably, at that time on the face of the earth. We found the undisturbed tomb of King Tut. How many have ever heard of all the treasures in King Tut's tomb? And that's... Whenever you see National Geographic, the golden mask and all of that, that's from his tomb. Does anybody know about King Tut? He was a 19-year-old boy that did absolutely nothing. He was like the least of all the pharaohs. And apparently he made somebody mad at him because they bashed him in the back of the head and killed him when he was 19 years old. And he still got a tomb that blows our mind in gold and riches. What do you think the tombs of the big pharaohs were like? Let me tell you, they're beyond human imagination. 
but they did it. You don't have to imagine. I mean, you can go down to the museum, I think, in Egypt. I think it's still there. They let this stuff travel. I remember as a teenager one time, uh, they loaded us all up on a bus and drove us to Washington, D.C. because the treasures of King Tut's tomb were on display at the Smithsonian. And we stood in line for like three and a half hours and got on the bus and came home without seeing a blessed thing. David said, listen, I have seen what man can do. But there's an end to it. I mean, when the Brooklyn Bridge was built, it was one of the marvels of the world. Now, since I moved to New York City the 20-some years I've lived here, there's only one thing that I have ever seen and really noticed about the Brooklyn Bridge. It was always under construction. It's always being repaired. You know why? Because there's an end to man's perfection. And I don't care if you lived a perfect life and did everything super spectacular. Guess what's going to happen to you one day? You're going to die. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is all about. Solomon saying, I'm the greatest king that's ever reigned in the city of Jerusalem, the wisest man that's ever lived, and i got to leave it all to a dumb son. I mean, he knew what Rehoboam was. He'd raised him to be that way because he was too busy taking care of, an in, of himself and indulging himself to impart the wisdom and the character that he should have done to his son. He said, I've seen the end of all perfection. I don't care how good it is. Somebody can find something wrong with it. Isn't that true? Well, we go to the second half of that verse. And it says, but thy commandment is exceeding broad. See, I want to challenge you today that though the gate is narrow, the gate is straight, just like a straight jacket. You know what? You can't come to God and do what you want. You can't give Him the best that you have and expect Him to like it. You ever wonder why all of those rules and regulations are in the book of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy? How many of you enjoy reading Leviticus? I actually do. I love that book. Because it teaches so much about God. You wouldn't understand half of what God does with your salvation and what He did to save you if you didn't have the book of Leviticus. But I mean, and his offering was a golden spoon of ten drams of gold, ten shekels of gold full of incense, and it repeats it and repeats it and repeats it. Let me tell you, God put that in there to help you understand that He is a very careful and meticulous God, and when He says the way is straight, it's straight because He made it straight. 
and, and narrow because there's not a lot of room for you to move. God did not give us His Word for you to improve upon it. That's blasphemous. Uh, someone comes and visits our church, usually one, why do you use that old Bible? Do you have a Bible that's easier to understand? No. We, we don't use the new Bibles. Because we don't want the new and improved version. We'll, we'll just take the one God gave us. We'll take the one that's honest. And if I have to do a little work, and I would encourage you to be willing to do a little work, to read and study God's Word... You're the one that's going to benefit, not God. But we see that the psalmist here says that commandment, God's law, is exceeding broad. Do you remember what happened to the priest as he was working in the tabernacle? If he offered at the brazen altar the offering and did not wash himself completely and perfectly, at the brazen laver before he stepped into the tabernacle, what happened to him? The Bible says death. What happened to the two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, who refused to follow God's specific command as to where to get the fire to offer the incense? The Bible says fire came out before the Lord and burnt them. So, why does the psalmist say thy commandment is exceeding broad if it's so narrow and so confining? Well, because it is. I have spent the last 32 years of my life, four years in Bible college and the rest in the ministry since then, and and the chief object of of my ministry, the, the, the thing that I've been more involved with than anything else, more than buildings and more than that, it, more than uh, talking, is the study of this book called the Bible. Somebody says, well, I don't know as much about the Bible as you do. Well, spend 32 years studying it. Maybe you will. Amen. It's not impossible, but you got to have the time to do it. But Could I tell you that after 32 years, I don't think I've achieved level one on a test of one to ten in understanding God's Word? That's where I put myself. I mean, I understand the basics. I mean, I preach and teach God's Word, but there's so much in this that we haven't even started understanding yet. You see, the commandment is exceeding broad. It's so big that you can spend the rest of your life trying to explore it and never find it out. I don't know who actually said this first, but uh, I'd give them credit if I did. But uh, said on the uh, American federal uh, books of the law, the American legal code, is about two and one-half million laws. And this was years ago, so I mean it's more than that now. Laws. Two and a half million laws. 
health care reform was 2,700 pages. And that was the summary, according to Ms. Pelosi. Just wait until the rest of it gets written. All of them trying to help you keep the Ten Commandments. I mean, isn't that what most of the laws are about? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not lie. I had a guy call me the other day. He says, listen, an apparent... Uh, the family is under attack and we need a constitutional amendment to to put uh, uh, the emphasis back on parents being parents. And I said, listen, I appreciate your thought process on this. I really do. And, and, and I agree with you that parents need to be parents. But if they won't listen to the Bible, what do you think they're going to do with a constitutional amendment? If they won't listen to God, are they going to listen to the Congress? I mean, would you want to listen to Congress? I mean, the only thing they know how to agree on is pay raises. Isn't that right? It's it's really pathetic. But I can hold all of God's law in my hand. And yet I can study it my whole life and never get it all. I'd say that's pretty broad. How about you? How many of you have ever just, and and I recommend that you do this. If you get overwhelmed with life situations and you're just kind of under the burden of things, sit down, open your Bible, And think about God's goodness. Try that sometime. Think about how good God was in creation. That's Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Read read them. How many of you have ever seen some of those pictures from the Hubble telescope out in space? They're amazing. I just, I love, I love that stuff. People say, yeah, but they, they're looking for life on other planets. Have they found it? They say, there was water on Mars. Well, that'd be pretty interesting. It gets 125 degrees during the day and negative whatever at night. I'd like to see water survive under those circumstances. Uh, it, it's, they talk about water on one of Saturn's moons and then you read down in the article and it says that the average temperature is negative 250 degrees now uh what does water do at 32 degrees it stops moving it becomes ice uh so how do they know there's running water on this moon at 250 degrees below zero that's a greater miracle than creation let me tell you Uh, I I just laugh at the silliness. But I want to ask you a question. Who but God could waste 13 and a half billion light years of spans? That's how wide they say our universe is. 
to stick one little planet in the middle and put us on it. Only God could do that. Only, only God has the resources. It says His commandment is exceeding broad. How good is God? But here's another one. How holy is God? How many of you have ever really tried to do something good for someone else? And ended up doing something wrong trying to do something good. Have you ever been there? If you're a human being, you've been there. You know what? God's never been there. Never once has God ever done anything wrong. And yet, one of my main duties as a pastor is trying to help people understand that God is not doing something wrong. He did not make a mistake. I don't care what you think. God's not capable of making a mistake because He's good. He will not make a wrong choice because He's holy. How about God's wisdom? Have you ever just sat down and contemplated God's wisdom? How smart God is? How incredibly accurate His Word is? How that He wrote things 2,000 years before Jesus was born and put in this book called the Bible? And they're absolutely applicable today. I was just reading through the Leviticus laws on leprosy. Do you know if you'll follow what the Bible put in uh, the put about the laws of leprosy, you'll never transmit the disease to another human being? We didn't figure that out until after the Civil War, really. Our surgeons would operate on one guy and wipe the knives off on their clothes and operate on the next guy and pass disease. More people died from disease than they did from the bullets. Why? Because all you have to do is pay attention to what the Bible said. It says to wash some things. It says some things are unclean. It says when you have blood from a, a, a human being that that's unclean or any kind of, uh, uh, of discharge, you've got to stay away from that stuff. It's all, it's all there. And, and it took us until modern times to pay attention. Because you know what? His commandment's exceeding broad. But I'll tell you one thing that you need to spend some time with on regular, uh, a regular uh, pattern in your life is contemplating God's love. You know how God loved us? He loved us according to His law. You know what? The cross wouldn't make one bit of sense if it weren't for the laws of God. Are we together on that one? I'm getting some funny looks. I mean, you might have to think about it a little bit. But why did Jesus die on the cross? Because the penalty of sin is what? Death. 
And Jesus, as God, took upon Him the death of all men, for that all have sinned. And why did He do that? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Why would God love you? Why would He love me? Why would He love any of us? Um, Because God is love. You can't know love without knowing God. You see, let's look at another verse. Two more passages and we'll be done. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Paul just sums it up so incredibly succinct and excellent that we'll just read the verse. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 give you just a moment to get there. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. You know, I've, I've met people over the years and they'll say, Pastor, I just... I just can't wrap my mind around this salvation thing. There's got to be more to it. I've got to do something. And they, they struggle with this. And the simple truth of the matter is the commandment is exceeding broad. It's farther than you can reach in your mind or your soul. But it does simply say this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's how simple it is. But as simple as that is, guess what? That's pretty straight, isn't it? Uh, You can't get you and your church through the gate. Uh, You can't get you and your priest through the gate. In fact, the only priest that you can have is the Lord Jesus Christ if you're going to get saved. You say, but but he's not here on earth. No, he's not here on earth because it is finished, my friend. The thing that cements that relationship is just believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, but as many as received him to them, gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You know, I'm so glad that the gate is straight. You can't fit the baptistry in there with you. Uh, You can't fit good works. You can't take anybody with you. You can't take your mother or your brother. You can't take your friend. can't take your wallet. The gate's too straight. But when you get through the gate, that narrow way is exceeding broad. And here's why we say, let's go to John chapter 8, if you would. Don't worry, we'll be finished soon. You see, we have different ways of saying things, but would you not say that if you were in a straight jacket, you would lose your freedom of movement. 
Are, are we together on that? I mean, the long sleeves are tied around and your arms are behind, uh, wrapped up like this and, and uh, it was put on right and uh, you're not Harry Houdini so you can't get out. Uh, you have lost your freedom of movement, have you not? If you're not given a lot of different choices, is your way not narrow? But here's what Jesus says. In John chapter 8, we're going to read verses 31 through 37. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Does that sound like the narrow way to you? Uh, he says, listen, you're going to have to continue in my word. The capital J-E-W is not talking about just people of Jewish heritage. But the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, he says, you're going to have to follow in my words to be my disciples and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou then? How sayest thou ye shall be made free? They said, wait a minute, we're, we're Abraham's seed. We've never been in bondage. Oh, wait a minute. Abraham's seed was in bondage in Egypt for 430 years. Uh, in Sunday school, we're going through the book of Judges, and they were in bondage here and in bondage there. They got out for 40 years and back in for 40 years. And I mean, it just uh, continued. Nebuchadnezzar sacked the city of Jerusalem. Uh, uh, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, destroyed the ten northern tribes. Uh, by the way, it was the Romans that ruled Jerusalem when Jesus, when these men spake this word, not the Jews. But Jesus was speaking of a different kind of bondage. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. Never ceases to amaze me all the things that people do trying to be free. Of course, my favorite is, I'm tired of all the rules around this house. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm joining the Marine Corps. I just love that. You know, they're going to tell you when to breathe and when not to breathe. They're going to tell you what to think and what not to think. And you'll probably be better off for it if that's your attitude. But people come to the city from all over the world to be free. And what do they do? They chain themselves up with addictions, with sins, with complicated relationships. I don't know how that works. Several years ago, Brother Marshall was here and he said, you know, this is the first time in my ministry I think I need to define what a family is. Because people want to change the definition. You know why? Because... One husband and one wife and their children is just not normal anymore. 
It's changing. Why? And we are so free, are we not? Free to murder all the unborn babies and carry the guilt and the pain and the suffering for the rest of your days. Free to commit all types of lewd and licentious behavior and condoned and even have a set of rights given to immorality. Is anybody happy? Uh, All they want to do is pass more laws. Let, Let me tell you something. Jesus said, if you'll know me, If I make you free, you'll be free indeed. How many of you found freedom from guilt in your past in the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ? Tell you what, that's an exceeding broad way. Because he never gets tired of forgiving me. How many of you gotten tired of all the stupid things you do? I'm not talking about the person sitting beside you. I'm talking about what we do. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because it's finished. He paid for all the sins. That's not an issue. You see, that commandment is exceeding broad because it offers forgiveness for every sin. And freedom from guilt. I, mean, I could spend till tonight talking about the freedoms that God gives you. You know what? I'm glad He picked my wife instead of me picking my wife. As I told all my sons and daughters, I said, listen, if you're serving God... Uh, they're not going to be standing in line and you get, to, well, let's see, do I like this one or that one? It's just not, uh, if there's one, you praise God. Amen. Let God make that choice. And I believe there only is one. You see, only in the restraint of God's word as I walk through that straight gate. And that narrow way do I find freedom for me. I'm the real slave master. You are your own worst enemy. There's absolutely no question about that. Don't blame the devil for all your dumb things. But I'll tell you what. If you'll bring all your dumb things to Jesus, he'll set you free from yourself. Only in submission to God's Word, in the getting rid and stamping out of self, do we find exaltation in a life that brings glory to God. Only in our surrender to Him do we obtain mercy from Him. Only then can we have true freedom. Because that's what God created us to be in the beginning. 
to have fellowship with God. You see, the gate's straight. The way is narrow. There are no, and not all roads lead to Rome. There's only one way that leads to heaven. That's through Jesus Christ. But guess what? On that road, I have freedom. You know when I get constrained? It's when I start looking at all the things and I'm thinking, you know what, maybe I should... uh, uh, I'm missing out. I'm not missing out on anything. I always get really frustrated at least, if not downright angry, when someone starts telling me all the things they gave up so they could have Jesus. That's ridiculous. I gave up a life of wrong choices so that he could make the right ones. I'll tell you what. I'll take Jesus. I'll take that straight gate. I'll take the narrow way. Because even though I'm walking on that narrow way, I'll tell you what, it's exceeding broad. Everything I do is going to come to an end. But what Jesus has done is going to take me through death's door, past the greatest accomplishments of men, into God's eternal glory with him. So I find total freedom in the narrow way. And all God's people said. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, I ask that you would use this message to be an encouragement to those who are saved. To stay in that narrow way. To understand that the true freedom in True broadness is there. Lord, I pray for those that may be with us today that are not saved, that have not yet settled the issue of their eternity, that they would at least understand a little more of how futile it is to hold on to things that they can see and they can do when all they have to do is surrender to Jesus Christ and be saved. Be free. Lord, I pray that our hearts, I would not be beholding to the things and the treasures and the trinkets of this world. But that we would fully surrender and receive your mercy and forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for your love. We ask that you would help us to think about these things as we go through this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we have the hymn of invitation today, Brother Franz is going to come and lead us. If you're here today and you're not sure about your salvation, let's stand together. Would you get my attention as you come down? We'll have someone take the Bible and show you how you could know. The altar is open.